me. And then we've got some good stuff, right? We left on a cliffhanger last week, didn't we? Uh, So we're going to finish up what we started here. But for those of you who weren't with us, we're going to have sort of a uh, a recap to to remind us of what we've been building up to and, and where we're at so that we know how God wants us to respond in life when we don't see eye to eye. Did you ever, like, butt heads with somebody and not agree with them? Anybody? Yeah, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying, you know. Let's just be honest with each other. Come on. Especially if you're married. I mean, you know what it's like sometimes. I mean, so we're going to learn how to respond in those situations. Um, So right now we're going to do a kind of, uh, I forget what the, you know, I, I was a 90s kid. You know, the TV shows, they'd start out like previously on, you know. Yeah, so, so previously on New Hope, uh, we learned about freedom. We learned that there is a freedom that's, that, that can exist in every situation and every circumstance. That Jesus came to set us free and to set us free indeed. That nothing and no one can steal away that freedom that he has given us. And we learned how we get, we, you know, sometimes we get that mixed up in our culture because we're Americans, Right? And we mix up our national freedom with our Christian freedom. And sometimes, you know, they, they overlap each other, but sometimes they're radically different from one another. We learned about this freedom that he has given us. And we learned last week about how that freedom that he gave us was not actually for us. That the freedom that Jesus gave us was to equip and empower us to humbly serve others. You've been set free, not for your own selfish freedom. You've been set free for the benefit of others, uh, and enables us to do that. And so we're continuing here in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 15, and I'm just going to read here uh, and skip a little bit just for time's sake. But we learn in verse 6 that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And we're going to look at the practicality of that today. Because it says in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Don't you love that God made it simple? You can read through the Levitical law and try to make sense of it. And, and you know, you can read through Revelation, try to figure out what's coming and what's going to happen. But I always, with the end times, because we know they're coming, I always go to the end of Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, here's all the signs and wonders you need to look for. And he goes through it step by step by step by step. And then he ends with, you don't know when it's going to happen. So just be ready. Be ready. And and this is how you're ready in in this verse here. This one simple command. The entire law, everything that God expects you to do is summed up very simply. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. If you're doing that when Jesus returns, you're in good shape. You know? If you've got your faith in him and you're just loving people... You've got it. You've nailed it. You're good. But we get this uh, warning here in verse 15. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by one another. And we learned that challenge last week, what that looks like. We know that the Bible contains absolute truths. They are true for you. They're true for me. I mean, you know, there is right and there is wrong. We know that it's wrong to lie, right? That's a a standard. It's a biblical truth that applies to everybody. Um, And we are all held accountable to those uh, truths, and we call those truths doctrines. Things like there's, you know, one way of salvation through Jesus alone. How there is one true living God. All these doctrines, you know, that that they're they're not something you can debate. They just are what they are. Last week, we were introduced to what we don't often talk about. But these things consist probably of 80% of our lives. And those are called arguable matters. That's what the Bible refers to them as. Romans chapter 14. Because most of the issues we feel that we deal with in life are exactly this. They are arguable matters. And don't we love to argue about them? Right? Don't you spend a lot of your time trying to win people over and get the people to see things the way that you see them? These are topics for which each one of us are held accountable to our own convictions that God has given us. And we learned last week, you know why it's so hard to get people to change their stand on certain subjects? Such as face coverings that I'm struggling with this morning. Sorry, I've worn this thing out. It's going to be falling all morning long. We're just going to deal with it. Um, We love to argue about these things. And the reason that, that it's so hard to get people to change their stand, we learned from Romans 14, is because God is enabling them to stand. 
And when you try to get somebody to change their stand on a subject, and it's God who's enabling them to stand, who are you really fighting against? God. Isn't that a foolish thing to do? You're never going to win, right? God is the one that gave them the conviction. He's the one enabling them to stand on it. The same as he's the one that gave you your conviction, enabling you to stand on it. And, and you just can't sway each other. Um, you know, and of course we talked that these are arguable matters, not black and white biblical sin. You know, that's a whole thing of its own. But these arguable matters, they're topics uh, which we can, we can be completely right before God and yet completely different. I, you know, it, it's, it's just this reality that we have in the, in the kingdom of God. Because this can mean things like, we use this as an example. Um, one person can be fully convinced that they can eat absolutely anything, right? You know, like I always quote, you know, Peter uh, when he was struggling with this conviction with God, you know, come hunting season. God tells Peter, go, kill, eat, you know? <laughs> And he's like, but Lord, I've never touched that. That's, you said it's unclean in your word. And God's like, don't you dare ever call anything I created unclean. And Peter's like, um, but I mean, you, right here's your word and you said it was unclean. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> right? Arguable matters. He was changing Peter's conviction on this issue. It means that you can be convinced that you can eat absolutely anything you want and be right. And someone else can be convinced that back in the beginning of creation, when God created Adam and Eve, they could only eat veggies. And the reason that you're so fat and unhealthy and have diabetes is because you don't eat only veggies. You need to get back to God's design for diet. It's only veggies, right? Literally, Romans 14 walked us through this. And guess what? They, before God, are completely right. But you, before God, are completely right. But you're completely different. How can you both be right, right? We live in America. There's right and there's wrong. It's this or it's this. It can never be this and this. Like, 2 plus 2 can't equal 4 and 6 at the same time. That's absurd, you know? And that's the way I logically think, too. But in the kingdom of God, with arguable matters, you can be different and both be completely right before him. And the key is, when you are either raptured home or kicked the bucket and you stand before God, you're not going to be held accountable for the life that you lived for Becky's convictions. God's not going to be like, why weren't you more like her? Why didn't you follow her convictions? God's going to be like, why didn't you live up to your convictions? Why did you sacrifice who I called you to be and to do the things I called you to do to be more like somebody else? We are held accountable for those two things. Did we follow through with our convictions that he gave us? And how did we treat other people? That's the key that we're going into today, primarily. Two radically different stands, and yet each one is right. But we also learned, however, that for the veggie lover to just keep nagging and biting and devouring somebody for eating meat, they now are walking in sin. And vice versa. The same for the meat lover, to be nagging at the veggie lover that they just need to, you know, drop it and eat whatever they wanted and, you know, send them pictures of your uh, successful hunting trip, you know. That's sin. To be beating up each other for those things. Biting, devouring, right? When you treat each other with contempt because of your convictions, you're actually walking in sin. God in these areas have called us to humbly love and to serve one another. And we find this here in Romans chapter 14. Um, I'm going to read verses 15 and 19. It says, If your brother or sister is distressed... I'm sorry. I got to stop moving. Is distressed because of what you eat. No, I can't do it. I can't stay still. Sorry. We're changing. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. And what is the one thing that matters? Faith expressing itself through love. What is the one command that God has given you that fulfills everything? Love your neighbor as yourself. If what you are doing is distressing your brother or sister, you are no longer acting in love, you're acting in sin. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good of be spoken of as evil. Because the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating or drinking. It is of righteousness, of peace, of joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't we need a little bit more of that? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? I have never in my life chosen to argue about arguable matters and experience the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. It steals it away in a heartbeat, right? So in verse 17, uh, we go on. And we read, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is doing two things. You are pleasing God and 
you're also going to receive human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And that word edification is a fancy word that just means to build up and to encourage each other. And so um, we find here that these arguable matters, they give us a choice. They give us an opportunity. When you don't see eye to eye with your brother or sister in Christ, and you both have the scriptures to back up your stance, you can either choose to nibble and bite and devour each other about it, trying to get them to change their conviction, to change their stand, or you have the opportunity to humbly love and serve and encourage them in their conviction. You can either invite them over to your, you know, fresh venison steak, or you can invite them over and make them a salad, right? Very simple, but very life or death. You're either destroying the work of God, or you're building the work of God according to your actions. Not according to your convictions, but according to how you treat people who do not see things the way that you do, because they have different convictions on these arguable matters from Christ. So how do we practically work this out? Okay, now we're kind of back to this regularly scheduled program, right? How do we practically do this? It is hard, because your convictions are your convictions. I mean, you will live and die on that hill. You believe that it is totally wrong to eat meat, right? And you're never going to, like, sway from that. So how do you interact with somebody who feels the exact op- opposite? I mean, think about that. How can, how can a Republican and Democrat discuss today's uh, events in peace? Is that even possible, right? God says it is. How can a vegan and a hunter feed the hungry together? Two completely different, but God called you to feed the hungry. How can you do that, right? How can you both be right before God, doing what God calls you right? But how can you do that together when you see things so differently? How can a boomer and a Gen Xer mentor youth together? How can they do youth ministry together? I mean, you're raised in two completely different worlds, you know? How can you do that? How can a mime and a preacher reach the lost together? How can they do evangelism together? I mean, one won't keep his mouth shut and the other will never open it, you know? How can you do it? It can happen, can it? It is possible if we allow God to be God in our lives. If we truly call Jesus Lord and allow him to be Lord. All of a sudden, you will find he's not calling you to argue about arguable matters. I never found that as a gift in the body of Christ. I have never found that in the word of God to be, um, you know, what do we call them today? Karens, right? There is no Karen anointing out there in the body of Christ. You're not called to argue about arguable matters. But there are things we are all called to do together. Mainly, when we... Do not see eye to eye with somebody. We are called in the word of God, as we just read in Romans 14, to make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And that requires us to go back, and actually it's here again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. You'll find it all through the word of God. Make every effort. Now that implies you're not always going to be able to do it. You know, you, you've got this, you know, this one Bernie, or no, it's not Bernie anymore, one Biden supporter and one Trump supporter, you're just never going to see eye to eye, you know. But you're supposed to make every effort, as much as it is possible for you, to live at peace and to do what builds each other up. To do that, you've got to go back to Christianity 101. The very basics, the very foundation of your faith. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's really that easy. I mean... I remember talking to Becky, I'm like, what? like, I got so many messages and things after last week's message of, well, how do you do that? What does that mean? How could, you know, and I'm like, seriously? Like, have we missed it that much? You just love people. How hard is this? But we're going to keep reminding ourselves over and over and over again. We have been given freedom, Galatians 5, freedom, freedom to serve and to love one another. And nothing or no one can steal that away. Isn't that awesome? No government can ever create a law. This is in Romans chapter 8. No law can ever be written. I don't care how, how much they hate you, how much they want to destroy you. I mean, they've, how many people have tried to destroy the, the work of God throughout mankind's history? And they've never been able to do it. Because God created us to have the freedom, as a follower of Jesus, 
to love and to serve people. And no one can ever stop you. No one can ever stop you from hating some, or from loving somebody. If you get in touch with the persecuted church, you should read some of these testimonies. There's this one woman, she would come in, get beat several times a day. She was left for dead. And what would she say after every beating? I love you. And man, it just made them angrier. But they couldn't stop it. No one can stop you from loving them. No one can stop you from, from serving them. There can never be a law against it. Everything that God has called you to do, it can never be stopped. So if you're scared that the United States is trying to steal away your Christian freedom and your rights, you're wrong. They can never be stopped. Never be stopped. In the body of Christ, what he has called you to do, you will always and forever be able to do. You just, you can't. You can't stop someone from loving you. It's kind of creepy sometimes if you ever had a stalker, you know, yeah. But anyways, another story for another time. Sorry, with too much Hallmark movies, I guess. Uh, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Isn't that awesome, though? Think about that. You're powerful. You're powerful. No one can ever stop you. But this love that we're commanded to express, this love that we've been set free to do, isn't like the love that the world has. In fact, the only way you can ever love somebody this way is by expressing the love that you first receive. This is the God kind of love. This is called agape in the Greek language. It is a sacrificial love. You can only love people in this way if you first receive it from God, right? You're just expressing it. You're basically allowing God's love to flow in and through our lives. But it is a choice. You have to choose to allow this to happen. In many of our lives, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We're Pentecostal and we're proud of it, right? We love the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We love the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I look at so many Spirit-filled believers and they look like this with the Holy Spirit, right? They look like this. I mean, you're going through life and you got the Holy Spirit. You got everything you need. You're fully equipped and someone's like, okay, hey, let me show you something here. Let me teach you, you know, what the Spirit can do. And you're like, okay, I got it now. <laughs> And you go on struggling in life, wondering why it's so hard to be a Christian. Why everybody just hates you, and everybody's against you, and everybody's opposing you. It's like, you're so stinking close. You're so close. You almost got it. Like, you have what you need. You're just not using it right. <laughs> right? How many times does God look at us that way? You know? And he's like, oh, come on. Like, seriously, you're, you're, you almost had it. So close. We can choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but not really to, you know, walk in step with the Spirit. That's the choosing part. And Paul went on to teach a little bit about this, how we should respond to arguable matters. And you can do this through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be like that guy. You can throw that heavy load of bricks that God has called you to do, to bear with one another in love, to love other people. It is a heavy burden. It's not an easy thing to do. Some of y'all are not very easy to love. Let's be honest with each other. I'm not very easy to love from time to time. Now am I, right? And we can say that about each other, right? Very hard people to love. But we can do it when we choose to keep in step and to walk with the Spirit. So Romans chapter 15, we're going to start right at verse 1. Because God's Word is never going to tell us to do something without teaching us how to do it. And this is where the practicality comes into play. Paul wrote, and he said in Romans 15 verse 1, We who are strong. So you want to end an argument? Who's the more mature one? It's your responsibility, right? It takes two to argue, doesn't it? It takes two to fight. It, it always does. So the one who is strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, okay? Because we can hear the first part of the verse, hear the first part of the verse, and miss the second part of the verse. We do this all the time, right? We talked about that. Then you will be, you know, then you will be set free. The truth will, then the truth will set you free. We talked about that. We like the then, we don't like the if part. We don't like the condition. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their own good to build them up. Now in this culture that we're living in, you can call yourself a Christian, but I don't see Christian love in our culture I see a prideful, arrogant, I got the right, and I'm going to do whatever I want. That's not at all what God's word teaches us anywhere. God's word from beginning to end is all about us humbling ourselves for the good of others, right? Woo! <laughs> you know? 
I told you how much I struggle with this thing and how I think it's wrong and I want controlled and it ain't right and I got the right not to do it, right? It's revealing what's in here. It is revealing so much about who we truly are. We care so much more about ourselves and our comfort and our rights than we do about our neighbor. We do. You know, y'all can say what you want about the coronavirus. My aunt is struggling for her life right now in the hospital from it. So, you know, you can say it's a lie and you can say that it's deceit and all these things, but it's for real. And it's in our area and it is a struggle, you know. I mean, let's just be honest with each other here. We're seeing it more and more and more. Um, So, what do we do instead when we don't build up our neighbors, when we don't do what pleases them? In verse 3, it says, For Christ himself, he did not please himself, but as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Isn't that what we do? We insult people. We call them stupid idiots. Like, are you for real? What did Jesus do? He took on those insults so they didn't have to receive them. He says in verse 4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. If you're using the sword of the Spirit, the word of the God, and it is not providing encouragement and hope, if you're using it to tear people apart, to prove them wrong, then you don't understand what the word of God exists for. You don't understand who the living word of God, Jesus, is We need to have a true personal encounter with him if we think that his word exists just to destroy people, right? And not to build them up. And so he he goes on into verse 5, Paul here, and he teaches, So may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you, and this is a prayer for you and I today, may God give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And so here we're going to get to the practical, you know, uh, part of this. One of the keys to responding to those who have different convictions, who you don't see eye to eye with and you cannot agree with, is to realize that as a Christian, you have the freedom, you've been equipped, you've been enabled to accept people right where they're at. Jesus did not agree with our lifestyle when he accepted us into his kingdom, did he? Our lives were bound by sin when he first accepted us. We were in pretty miserable shape. We were headed straight for hell, and yet he accepted us as we were. To be completely honest, we probably weren't even all that easy to love whenever he found us, right? The point is, we can be like Jesus. We can accept people and completely disagree with their lifestyle choices. We can still accept them. Jesus did it. We can accept people whom we don't agree on even a single issue in life. We can be completely radically different from them in every way, and we can still accept them. We can serve people who we totally disagree with. Didn't Jesus do that as he walked on the face of the earth? We can love people who have absolutely no love for us, no love for God, right? Yet we can still love them. The freedom that Jesus has given us enables and equips us to do this, to accept one another exactly as Jesus accepted us. He didn't require us to do anything but to put our faith in him, right, when he accepted us. He didn't require us to change our lives. He took care of that afterward. When you received his salvation, he accepted you just as you were. And we are called to have the same attitude of mind toward people as Jesus did. And this is where it begins. Faith, or love expressing itself through our faith. Because if Jesus had the attitude that most of us have, that I'm right and you're wrong, we'd all be headed to hell right now. Because he is right and I am wrong. And I don't deserve what he did for me. He didn't have to take on my wrongdoing and my, my sin, right? But he chose to do it. And that, this is the key in all of this, right? It's an attitude. It's a mindset. Jesus became wrong. He took on the punishment for wrong because he wanted to do something that's more important. What is more important than being right and proving someone else wrong? What is more important in my marriage than me being right? Because let me tell you something. 
Ask her. I like being right. I don't like being wrong. And if I'm wrong, there's some other reason why I'm wrong. Not because I was truly wrong, right? <laughs> I'm not an easy person to live with. Uh, thankfully, Jesus got a hold of me a little bit. And, you know, he's still got some work to do. What did Jesus value more than being right? He valued relationship. He valued you more than being right. He valued you more than being on his throne in the kingdom. He values relationship more than being right. And so ought we. We ought to care more about that person than we care about our rights. It's just a reality. This is nothing new. This is nothing cultural. This has been the message of the gospel from day one, but we have missed it since day one. That's why the New Testament was written. Jesus values a relationship, and so should we. Jesus values a right attitude, and so should we. If the God of all the universe can leave heaven and do what he did, right, I mean, just to make our relationship with him right, if he chose to take on the attitude of a servant, humbly serving people, according to Philippians 2, then why shouldn't we? And we were just told in Hebrews 15, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have the same attitude and mindset as Christ had. And Philipp, in, uh, uh, yeah, I just said it. Philippians 2, we were called to have the same attitude toward people as Jesus did. Jesus was willing to sacrifice his righteous standing to right our relationship. He endured in service to people who lived completely contradictory to his lifestyle. He chose to humbly serve and to love people who were walking in sin, and he knew just how serious sin is. He chose to show love toward people who hated and despised and mistreated him. He hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. He was interceding for them even then. If we call ourselves Christians, why don't we have that same attitude and mindset? Why don't we value people, others, more than we value ourselves? And believe you me, I'm preaching to myself right now. I've been beating myself about this all week long. Consider the way that Jesus lived. Never once did he lower his standard of righteousness, and yet he, and he never once did he ever sin. But the lifestyle that he chose to live, the leaders of the Jewish, you know, uh, we'll call them the church, you know, of the day, because that's essentially what they were, they considered him to be living a, a sinful lifestyle. They called him demonic. They called him a glutton because he just didn't live according to their standards and their convictions. He hung out with people that he totally disagreed with. And that is something that those leaders could never do. They wouldn't be caught dead speaking to a non-Jew. And yet Jesus was there hanging out at the woman at the well, forgiving her, giving her eternal life. Here on the earth, Jesus built relationships with people that he did not agree with. And what was the result? What happened to those people that he chose to build a relationship with that he didn't agree with? They changed their lives, didn't they? They willingly and joyfully changed the way that they live because he cared about them. He genuinely loved them and cared, them, cared about them and served their needs. Jesus didn't reach the lost by, by trapping them in some, you know, gotcha uh, giveaway. Or don't you love those tracks that we leave that look like money? Like, oh, dude, $100 bill. Oh, yeah, Jesus loves you. you know? <laughs> Jesus didn't use those methods or tactics. He was honest and truthful and he talked to you to your face, right? He went out to where you were at, and he talked to you, and he cared about you, and he loved you. He had a personal and direct relationship with them. He accepted them where they were at, and he loved them enough to serve whatever they needed. And it was because of that that lives were radically transformed, that people willingly did what he taught, right? Because they were loved, and if that's how Jesus successfully reached the lost, then why do we try to do it any other different kind of way? He never invited people to a service at the temple, right? Some of the people weren't even allowed in the temple, you know, that, that, he invited, that he was hanging out with. He never invited them to a service. He never had a big bouncy castle and a bunch of music and, you know, and a bunch of free food. And Not that there's anything wrong with those things. He didn't do any of those things. And here's the key. There's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But if we're doing them... I kind of picture it like this. Do you ever have those old blue bug lights? If that's why we're doing them, you create a lot of buzz and a lot of light, and you, you attract people in, so you can be like, all right, preacher, they're here. Get them. Get them. Get them saved, right? You know? <laughs> if, you're like, if you're doing those events with that heart, motive, and attitude, then you missed it completely, and it's not going to last long. 
if we do those things with the motive of genuinely just loving them, caring about them, serving them, whether they accept Jesus or not, you know, we really hope that they do, but if they don't, they don't. It's their free will that God gave them. Man, then things start to change. Then things start to happen. Just genuinely loving people, serving them. That's how Jesus transformed the world. I mean, look how successful he was. Why should we try doing it any differently? That has to be our heart motive and attitude. So when you find somebody uh, and you're at odds with them, I want you to take one of these and kind of picture this. All right, here's the rubber meets the road, black and white. Here, can you hand them out? I know. I'm sorry. I love you, sweetie. She loves it when I... You gotta hate being a pastor's kid. Your your private life gets talked about to everybody, and you you guys you're like forced to serve all the time. But when you're at odds with somebody, I want you to picture this thing. You, anybody ever have one of these? You know, it's gonna be hard with a, a mic, but these finger traps, right? Yeah. You ever play with one of these? It's interesting. I want you to think about this next time that you can't see eye to eye with somebody. Here's how God has called us to get out of this trap. Because the more that you try to get out of this trap, the more you get stuck in it, right? It's like a noose. It tightens. The more you try to get away from it, the tighter it gets, right? It's, it, it's, it's a trap. And people see it for a trap. But this is what happens in life. With those who oppose, with those who you don't see eye to eye with, the more that you try to get them to see things your way, don't they tighten down even harder? And they try to oppose you all the more. And it's just, it's a trap. And guess what? People know it. They see it. It's a trap. But Christian, follower of Christ, you should see this for what it is. It is a trap of the devil, right? It's a trap of Satan. When those who oppose you, and you can't see eye to eye with somebody, you can't agree with somebody, it's a trap. And you've got to not take the bait. You have an opportunity, right, to either take the trap... And to argue over arguable matters and, and, and not realize that they will forever be arguable matters because that's what the Bible calls them. You will be able to argue about them from now until the day Jesus returns and they will still be arguable matters. You can choose to do that or Romans 15 said you can either choose to do that or you can choose to humbly love and serve one another. If you're stuck in the trap and you don't know how to get out of it, just hang in there. We're, we're going to get to it here. So... <laughs> it's kind of kind of funny if you can't uh, you gotta hang in there. Think about this. I, I've 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 chosen to be this way before. No one can live at peace or joy when they know that every time you get together, you're just waiting. You're waiting for the right moment for that subject to be brought up. So you can be like, boom. Well, see, that's why Trump is going to be awesome, right? In his next four years, right? Nobody wants to be around somebody that every time. You're together, you know they're just waiting to pounce on you to bring up that subject, that arguable matter, so that you can argue. It's not comfortable to be around people like that, right? That's when you see people in Walmart and you go two aisles down because you just don't want to be around them because you know that they're just going to, you know, just throw it in your face or bring something up. Arguable matters. Nobody enjoys that. Nobody, you know, nobody enjoys when they see your name come up in in email or messenger because they know it's just going to be another article. It's just going to be another video. It's just going to be another thing that they're trying to do to argue with you and try to get you to see things from their perspective, right? There's no joy in that. That's why in Facebook you can block people like that now, right? And that's what people do. They don't want that. They don't want that in their lives. And guess what? God doesn't want that in their lives. And God doesn't want you to be that person in their lives. You're supposed to be an encourager. You're supposed to be giving hope. You're supposed to be giving life. You're not carved to be a a divisive, controversial, argumentative person, right? That is not a fruit of the Spirit, and it is not a calling in the kingdom of God. People are smart enough to realize it's a trap. So instead of laying out traps, trying to win people over to see the world the way we see it, how should we respond? Well, the principles that enable us to do this with a brother or sister in Christ, who don't see eye to eye on arguable matters, the same principles apply to reaching the lost. If you've been unsuccessful in doing that, it may be because of these issues. So first thing, when you encounter those who oppose, first thing that you do, right, I love that scripture, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. What are we called to do? Are we called to, are we called to fill people up with knowledge in the body of Christ? Now we're called to humbly love and serve one another. In fact, you fulfill the entire law by just loving. Loving, right? Build people up. Don't be puffed up and tearing people down. 
How do we respond to those who oppose? First of all, stop. (laughs) Stop doing what you're doing. When the argument is at bay, and you know that subject came up that you don't see eye to eye on, you don't agree with the person on this issue, and your blood is boiling, and you're ready just to have at it, right? You feel that. That fight or flight uh, kicks in. Stop. Proverbs 18.19 says this, An offended brother is harder to reach than a fortified city, and quarrels are like the bars of a fortress. When the arguable matters come up and you feel like arguing, just stop. Just stop. Let the Holy Spirit, you know, put that, 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 that whatever over your mouth and just stop. Because you're only going to tighten the trap by arguing more about an arguable matter. That's all that's going to happen from it. The first step out of this trap is to stop trying to get out of that trap. Stop trying to reach that person with all that information because knowledge puffs up, love builds up. It's not going to work. You're not going to be successful. You've got to stop trying to reach them by throwing more information and more arguments at them. It's only going to make them harder to reach. All that you're doing, think about that. Next time you throw more information at that person, I want you to picture yourself doing this. You just threw another row of cinder blocks up between you and that person. That's exactly what just happened. And the more you do it, guess what? The harder they are to reach. The more you offend them, the more information you throw at them, the more knowledge that you cast at them, all you're doing is building a barrier. You're never going to reach that person, ever. You're going to lose that person. And if you really care about that person, that should break your heart right here and right now, what you're doing. You've got to stop. You've got to stop. You're driving that person away from Christ. You have to stop. And it's not just with unbelievers, it's with the people in the body of Christ too. Stop arguing over arguable matters. You're driving people out of the kingdom. I've seen it happen so many times. We've seen so many families come into this church and get driven out because they have a Christmas tree, because they do a jack-o'-lantern, because they do this, because they do that, because we don't have a steeple, because, you know, it gets ridiculous. Driving people out of the kingdom of God, destroying the work of God, all for What? for food, for opinions, arguable matters. Stop doing it, right? What results from this? Lots of fruits of the flesh, doesn't it? Biting and tearing and devouring. Lots of fruits of the flesh. There's no love, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no patience, there's no gentleness when you're arguing about arguable matters. It's all fruits of the flesh. That ought to be a red flag for you. You're not being spirit-led. You're not being spirit-led when you're doing those things. Galatians 5, right? This thing's only going to tighten its grip, and that person's only going to tighten their stance all the more, the more that you struggle and fight with it. So first of all, you've got to stop. Second of all, you've got to come together. If you haven't figured out how to get out of this trap yet, it's not pulling your fingers apart. It's actually putting your fingers together, and then it loosens. And then you can get free, right? You've got to come together. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus found common ground with people. He didn't try to trap them and snare them into believing. He literally found common ground. I mean, he went to where they were at. Not only physically, but also intellectually. He went to where they were. Even when his peers looked down on him for doing it and criticized him and tore him apart for doing it, he went to where the people were at who needed him. He went to there physically, he went there intellectually, he talked in parables, right? In everyday language, so they could understand what he was talking about, so they could get it. He ate with them, he laughed with them, he accepted them, he even defended them. Think about the woman caught in adultery. He defended those who were wrong. He encouraged them, he lived life together with them. That's what Jesus did, he came together with them, literally, intellectually, spiritually. And so, how do you do that? Focus less on the arguable matters. When a topic comes up that you know you're not going to see eye to eye on, just let it go. Change the subject. Talk about something else, something you do have in common, something that you can see eye to eye on. If Jesus, God in the flesh, can do this, how come we can't, right? It's so simple just to love people, treat people the way you want to be treated. I mean, he, he disagreed with everything about those people, and yet he was able to do that. He was able to come together with them. And so intentionally spend more time with others, participating in the activities that they are interested in. 
discussing things that you share in common, things you can get excited about together, you know? Build a relationship with them by genuinely caring about them. Look for opportunities to serve them and to love them. The saying is true that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's why this biblical principle works. Love people. I mean, seriously, genuinely love people. Don't try to trap them with your love, you know, like a Venus flytrap or something, you know, into the king. You can't trap people into the kingdom of God, you know, because they're going to get out as soon as they can. But you can love people in the kingdom of God. It's his loving kindness that draws us to repentance, isn't it? It's what the word of God teaches. Sacrifice your need to be right to make the relationship right. Now, this one has bitten me many times. I'm going to half recommend it. When people are talking to me about an arguable matter, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, and then then we talk about something else. Now, it has bitten me because people think I'm agreeing with them. And like, well, I talked to you about this, and and you didn't disagree with me. It's like, well, I don't want to argue about arguable matters. It doesn't mean I agree with you just because I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you because I actually care about you and want to hear where you're coming from, right? So think about that. you got to stop arguing about arguable matters, and then you got to come together. When you come together, all that tension... All that tension that gets built up by arguing and fighting over things that don't really matter, it goes away. You can be yourself around that person, and, and they can be themselves. You've you got to come together on those things. And then finally, the last step in this process is to ask. Stop fighting, come together, build a relationship. And then when the time comes, after you have a genuine, healthy relationship with that person... You can ask questions. Jesus often asked questions, especially to people who opposed him, especially with people who did not agree with him. They would come to him, they would tear him apart, and so often, he just asked them a simple question. Well, whose authority are you doing this under? Well, whose authority do you think I'm doing this under? You think? <laughs> he would ask questions. He'd be like, well, you know, they'd come and they'd you know, fight with him about something. He'd be like, well, consider this. Which do you think is right? You know, the, the kid that came and said, I'll do it, and then they don't do it? Or the kid that said, no, I'm too busy, and then they go and do it anyways? Which one do you think was right? You know, he would ask questions. He would get them thinking about things, because that's what we were created to do, to think, to use your brain, right? Ask questions. When, you're, when you've built a relationship and you don't see eye to eye on certain subjects, first of all, ask. Hey, can we talk about this? If they don't want to talk about it, let it go. If they're not in the mood to talk about something right now, just change the subject, talk about something else, right? And if they do want to talk about it, ask questions, not trying to trip them up. Ask questions to try to understand how they see things. You're not going to agree with them, but at least try to understand where they're coming from. You know, that's how I have an understanding of how a, a Christian can be a Democrat, even though personally I don't subscribe to that train of thought, you know? Personally, I'm like, seriously, how can you? But, but I understand some believers, how they, they can be, genuinely, truly, still be right before God and still take certain political stands. You know, even though I don't necessarily, I understand, because I've asked questions, how they can biblically be standing correctly before God and still vote the way that they vote. It, it, it blows your mind, but, you know, yeah. Ask to learn. Ask to understand. Ask to show that you actually care about the person and where they're coming from. You'll learn all kinds of stuff. And you will grow and mature as a person as well. You will grow in your faith. I, I'll tell you, you can ask my wife. I've grown in my faith more from, like, coworkers at work who just want to, you know, try to smash your faith than, than I ever have from inside the church sitting through classes. You learn more from people who oppose you because they're not afraid to ask you the hard questions of why do you believe that? And let me tell you, most of them are asking you that not to make you look bad. They really do want to know why do you believe that, you know? You you can actually lead people to Christ that way. Um, You'll actually find that once you've built a healthy relationship, they'll probably start asking you questions first. They'll probably start asking you, what does the Bible say? The reason for the hope that is in you. They'll start asking you questions because they feel that you care about them. You're not their opposition, you're their friend. And as a result, they will care about what you have to say. That's exactly how Jesus responded to those who opposed. He got pretty frustrated from time to time. He did some table flipping, right? You know, there were some things that were doctrinally, mm-mm, 
I'm going to live and die on this hill, right? My father's house will be a house of prayer, right? He, he would not cave in on that subject. That's why he did some table flipping and, you know, build a whip and everything. But more often than not, there were arguable matters that all that he did was taught people. He asked questions to get them to think about things. And he just gently taught and instructed. And that's exactly what God's word calls us to do. You've probably read this before. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. We are told to flee the evil desires of youth. And let me tell you, this doesn't go away just because you went from 17 to 18. Right? I think I've said this before. I've seen 80-year-olds act like 2-year-olds. They haven't flown youth yet. They haven't grown up and matured. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. You know they only produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant, if you call yourself that, you ought to be it, right? You must not be quarrelsome. You must be kind to everyone. You must be able to teach, not be resentful. And those who oppose you, the opponents, they must be gently instructed. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. What leads to knowledge? The world will teach you that information leads to knowledge. I know something because I learned it. In the kingdom of God, we are taught that although that's true, love is what paves the path. (laughs) Should say that the mask on to me, peace. Love is what paves a path. For them to receive information. You love first. They'll want to know. They'll ask questions. Right? And you can teach and gently instruct. And it says in verse 26. And that they will come to their senses. And escape the trap of the devil. Who has taken them captive to do his will. Now you want to talk about a worst case scenario. Right there it is. You don't see eye to eye with somebody. Who has been taken captive by the devil. And they're doing his will. That's worst case scenario. How are you supposed to respond in that situation? Gently teach and instruct. Don't quarrel with them. Don't fight with them. Don't argue with them. If that's how you're supposed to respond in worst case scenario, what about your brother or sister in Christ who genuinely loves God, serves God, trusts him? You just don't see eye to eye on a subject. The same way. You just love them. You serve them. And when the time presents itself, you can teach. They'll ask questions. You can ask questions, and you can teach that way. So think about this. The next time you encounter those who oppose in today's culture, in today's world, in an election year, you're going to find all kinds of opposition everywhere, aren't you? It is everywhere. I don't even want to open my Facebook app anymore because I'm tired of seeing it. You know, everybody arguing and bickering over things that really are going to be here today and next year is going to be in our memory. You know, our memories pop up like, Oh, yeah, do you remember the mask thing? You know, <laughs> you know, it's, anyways. So let this be a reminder of how to respond to those who oppose. Stop fighting. Come together. Find common ground. And after you've genuinely loved and served people, there will come a time when you can talk about that arguable matter. And that person may actually come to see things your way and agree with you and change their minds. And when we're talking about reaching the lost, they'll give their lives to Christ willingly. Not emotionally at an altar because they were forced to, you know. We're not going to be a bug light attracting people, you know, with some gotcha, you know, outreach event or some gotcha moment. You guys know I've been here for preaching for nine years. You know, I, that's not the way I feel God has called me to move. When people give their lives to Jesus, it's going to be because they genuinely want to do it. And it'll stick because of that. When the emotions wear off and when the enemy comes on, they made a commitment. And they're going to follow through with it. Not just run away from it because the emotions wore off and, you know, and all of a sudden uh, life's tough. So do this. Keep first things first. We're going to be judged by our own convictions and the way we treat people. You can do everything that God has called you to do by simply loving your neighbor as yourself. If we can just treat people the way we want to be treated, we will be living life so successfully, so effect- effect- effectively, right? 
remember that the only thing that counts, according to Galatians 5, is your faith that expresses itself through love. Keep your love on, especially to those that you don't agree with. Especially toward people who are living lifestyles completely contradictory to how God has called them to live. It is the loving kindness of God flowing through your life into theirs that will lead them to repentance. And there's a song that's popular in, in Christian radio right now, you know, that it's, it's the grace of God that makes me really want to change. It is how much he loves me and accepts me, even though I know the person I am, that is what makes me and motivates me to want to be a better person and to change my life and to live life better. If that's the way Jesus reached the lost, that's how we ought to too. Love people, serve people. And you'll find yourself becoming far more successful with far less of these in your life. You'll be driving far less people away from you and away from Christ and you'll be leading people into his presence, into his salvation, and even deeper into the things of his kingdom. Love. Love always wins, doesn't it? All right, so let's just pray here. So, Jesus, first of all, forgive me for being such an argumentative person. Forgive me for always wanting to be right and to show people where they're wrong. Jesus, I've seen that drive people away from me. I've seen people flee and to become even more trapped and snared because I've responded that way. So forgive me, Lord, and help me, teach me how to stop doing that, how to come together with them to build relationship. And Holy Spirit, show me those Kairos teachable moments when you call me to ask questions and to teach people how to walk according to your word. Help me to do it with a motive of love, not human love, but your agape love. Help me do it with a motive to serve them for their good, for their benefit. Help me to be a builder up of people and not a puffer up of myself in knowledge. Jesus, help me to live the way that you lived because I can't do it on my own. I'm desperate for you, Lord, right now. I am heartbroken right now, Jesus, for the people that I've hurt, the people I've driven away, Lord. Forgive me. And let this be the first day of being a builder on your team, on your crew, Lord. And I'm excited to see your kingdom being built here on the earth, even as it is in heaven, through my life in your name. Amen.